Welcome to Empowered Communication. I am Meredith Hawley, a workplace conflict mediator, communication coach, and attorney. And I'm Megan Mellon, a social impact strategist focused on large-scale systems change. This podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to substitute for legal advice or for therapy. Laws are different in every state in the United States especially when it comes to employment law and in every country, they're also different. If you have concerns about your workplace experience, we encourage you to seek counseling, seek therapy, seek any modality that might help you and to get legal advice from an attorney in your area. Today, we'll be discussing when past work experiences feel unresolved, the power of closure and justice to help you move forward when something goes sideways at work. One of the things that I have enjoyed talking to you about the most, Meredith, over our friendship is this topic of closure and irresolution when it comes to a traumatizing or like an abuse-oriented workplace experience. And one of the things that was new to me when I met you is that you are somebody who faced it and then also made it all the way through at the same workplace to the other side. For me, when I kind of came up against workplace stuff, it was in my exit interview, right? So like, I didn't really realize it was happening until it was literally already over. So it was like the ultimate season of lost. I don't watch that kind of show. It's like too much suspense for me, but like, I just couldn't see it go anywhere. So today we're going to talk about what the difference is for people that you've talked with when they get that closure and when they don't, what does that bring up for you? So I, it's funny as you were talking, I remembered that last night I'm having sort of a family experience where I had to access the like family documents that I have in my burn proof bag. And so I was going <laughs> burn proof bag last night and I stand by this, but I came across uh, this letter or it was a memo from the workplace that I was in where I reported sexual harassment, maybe more than one time and generally sexism. And they conducted an investigation and I came across the memo from it and just read it. And I was like, I I don't, I can't articulate to you why it's in my burn proof bag, but I find it so funny. Like the amount of times that they say, we didn't do anything and we can't tell you what we did, but we welcome all future reports that you might want to give. And like, I'd specifically ask them not to do an investigation because it only seemed like it would harass other people. But they were like, we talked to all these people, you know, like it just was this very typical memo. And it's very typical of what I see when folks report to any kind of HR, any kind of organization that has a structure that even deals with harassment, discrimination. They often go, you report in good faith what you're seeing. The HR person says, I'm going to launch an investigation. And the person reporting sort of says, oh, that's not OK. Wait, is, who's going to be involved in that? Does that mean you're going to go tell everybody that I'm having this problem that I'm embarrassed about? Like, what does it mean? And they, the HR person often says something like, well, do you want us to just do nothing? Like, we can't do anything unless we conduct an investigation, which is really not how we handle most other workplace 
problems. We don't investigate them, but because we have a culture of disbelieving people with any characteristic that's not dominant. So anyone who's not male, white, cis, straight, Christian, able-bodied, able-bodied, exactly. Anyone who doesn't have those dominant characteristics, we sort of start out not believing them. So we have to conduct an investigation and say, what did everybody else think about this? And then the investigation has some kind of result that usually is like people had a lot of different experiences. Everything was difficult to determine. And we couldn't say that any discrimination really happened or that anyone wanted to be discriminatory. You're welcome. And that feels like the workplace doing something Mm -hmm. to the HR person, to the person complaining, and even to the person accused of something. It doesn't feel like resolution. It feels like a lot of added angst and bird. Anyway, so just in reading that document was so much closure to me at that point, because to me, it was a statement of we are going to continue to behave in the ways that we have behaved in the past. And it was an opportunity I had given them to them to change. And to me, the memo was such a moment of we're going to keep being who we are and who you know we've been the whole time. Did that give you clarity and that felt like resolution because you just got confirmation like the cat is still a cat? Or like, were you infuriated because you didn't like how they had been being and then here they were saying that they were going to be that exact same way? I think I was sad on the one hand. I was sad because I knew the investigation had involved them going to other people and having what I believe are unsafe conversations with other people Mm -hmm. who had similar experiences. Which wasn't your fault, but also then you just didn't like that that had been an activity that occurred. Right. It's disappointing to see people who you want to do better. Yeah do something that feels unsafe still. And I think that that's fair. I mean, I think there's room for sadness and grief in all of this. I had already had a lot of grief about that workplace and a lot of processing. And so I did want to give another chance to really like for me to provide some structure of what I was asking for and what my expectations were and to allow them to make whatever decision they wanted to make. But for me, the memo was not what you would want But it wasn't a surprise. And I Mm -hmm. think it did feel like, okay, I've given these people chances. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's fair on my end. And ultimately, you have to, I think we've said this before, even on the podcast, like Dr. Angelou says, when people show you who they are, believe them. And I think that is wise advice. And people change, I think. I believe that people can change. And I think it is a long long process to change and people regress. They don't usually change when they're very committed to not changing. (laughs) Like on something that you would like to be in dialogue with them about. Like they're not going to accidentally slip and transform and like up level like four stages however you want, especially when they've been kind of resisting that. Like that's just not how that works. I think sometimes, you know, they say sometimes when people get cancer diagnoses, they never smoke another cigarette right? Like they have that motivation to make a complete change. Um, I recently had a health issue and I totally stopped drinking and that feels fine to me. Like that's a big change, but also it hasn't been a problem because I'm like, I don't want to feel terrible. And Mm -hmm. 
drinking is going to contribute to me feeling terrible in this really tangible way. So I think that people can make emotional leaps like that when they want to. But I yeah. think that's the key. Exactly There's what you're choosing. saying. Let me just get this clear on the story because I feel like we're all right there with you in the fireproof safety box with the memo. And I didn't even know that we were going to be yeah. at this level, but that's good. We parachuted in. When that memo came, did you then leave your job or you stayed? I think I was there for another like three months. Like I put in my notice after another month after that, but I went through a full big conclusion of a actually a major harassment case um, that I was working on. And, you know, we just, I kind of did like a friendly exit with them. And I said, you know, my supervisor cried, who was the one that gave me the memo when I resigned. And she said, I feel like we failed you. And I was sort of like, yeah. That's true. But I mean, also, that was the capacity that they had. Even in this situation, like you're like, so there's this memo. And even today, like it's 2023 right now, podcast listeners, I'm like on the edge of my seat. And I'm like, wait, so then what happens? Because for me in the X interview, they were like, oh, no, surprising content. And I was surprised that they were surprised, right? We've talked about this before on this podcast. Yeah. So they are like, we need to do an investigation. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And then they were like, okay, bye. Like sending your laptop. And I was like, okay, see you later. And like, I heard from colleagues that questions were asked. I'm not sure there was like any transparency about the process, nor have, do I have any even speculation about if that's normal. But one of the things I see hearing you talk this through even as I'm taking various notes, is you're like, okay, so basically first there's a report. Then it goes to HR. Then HR is like, we're going to do an investigation. And it's like, it's not that I'm jealous, although I'm not opposed to being jealous, but it's like, there is something that happened differently in our experiences because you saw the process unfold, Mm. right? So then you got the awareness of like, oh, there is a process here. I think this is really common. So I'm a mom now. I'm an older mom, right? So there's a long time when I didn't have kids and I didn't really know anybody who have kids. And when someone in my life would have a kid, I was like, I don't even know what's going on with that. Like they just fall off the planet. They like don't want to call you at a normal time anymore. They only want to call you during errands for like five minutes randomly. I'm like, ew. Like I was very inflexible because I'm like, what has happened to you? Like this is not meeting my needs, right? But then now as a mom, I'm like, oh, I get it. First, you have no sleep. Then everything revolves around a child. It's like you watch that process. And now when a friend of mine has a kid, I'm like, oh, you're going through the process. Yeah. You know, but like you didn't know there was a process, nor nah. did you really want to know. You weren't going to research exactly how your life falls away when like the veil of innocence of childlessness is ripped away from you by your own, you know, reproductive choices in my situation, which is very fortunate that I have reproductive choices. I guess what I'm saying is that just without any judgment, kind of just contrasting what happens, it's not that anybody's luckier because like none of this stuff is stuff we want to deal with. But I just know a lot of people have been through kind of a traumatic work experience that either they didn't realize was traumatic until the very end, or they didn't even realize was traumatic until later when someone goes, wait, what? And then you start to think about it and it it starts to settle with you that like that wasn't okay. But in the stages when I was really reflecting on that, just sitting with how not okay it was, didn't actually give me any new information or insight or awareness on what I would do in the future. 
Right. And so now what I see a lot, I did a master's at the business school at Stanford, which was like a cool experience. And there's like career centers there that do classes for alumni. So, you know, I love a good online class. So I always go to these classes and there really is a threat of people trying to figure out what to do with their careers. Some of that is strengths-based or you complete a chapter or, you know, you want a new learning challenge, but some of it And I'll put myself in this category, like to some extent, some of us have shown up in those containers spooling on how can I go back to work again? Mm -hmm. Or how can I face a future environment knowing that I can't handle what happened last time? You don't live that way, right? You don't live like, no, no, I can't handle it. Or you don't even live like I can't handle it. Like you're like, no, no, there's tools. Like there's totally a bridge. It's just if you don't realize there is one or you don't hear somebody talk about it, you're like, no, basically here's what you do. If there's a tornado, I grew up in Kansas, you hide under the desk or you go to the bathroom right. or you go downstairs. There's a drill. Yeah. is Meredith. For those of us who realize in retrospect or on the way out of the door that something messed up happened. How and so we're know? like, we can't go back in there. Or we can't go forward because what if it happened again? Right. I feel like you should just tell us Look, bare minimum, if something happens again, here's one thing that people tend to do. It's not legal advice, obviously, but what do people do? And also, I think, how do you now, when you're away, also experience that feeling of resolution and justice that feels sort of out of reach, I think, a lot of times. Because I could replay it. If I had an idea, a new idea, not just the idea, oh, crap, that shouldn't have happened, right? That's a recurring idea. But if I knew something else, then I could go back and be like, well, if I had to face that situation again, knowing what I know now, I can just imagine, oh, okay, what if I would have done this? But I don't have it. I don't really want to think about it that much. So I don't want to put new ideas in there. So that would be a cool... And I want to talk about one other scenario that I think is relevant, just super quick, is that a lot of people come to me as a lawyer wanting to file a lawsuit because they think that down the road, if they have a jury trial and the jury finds in their favor about the harassment or discrimination that they experienced, or they think about a judge or even an investigator finding in their favor, that they will feel a sense of justice then and feel a resolution Mm -hmm. then. And so that creates also an intangible, distant sense of resolution and justice where we're waiting for it until someone else who's outside of our control takes action. So each of those situations puts resolution and justice outside of your control and in someone else's hands. And that feels really terrible. Like you're making a face, like a- I'm making a bad face. You can't see my face, but I'm like, no, we don't want that. Right. Because also yeah. like, look, no one actually wants to do a lawsuit. Right. Like no one's, if you have a spouse, I have a spouse, no one's family wants to do it. I have, I've dated a couple of people who are like, you should sue them. And I was like, I'm not trying to get caught up in that. You don't know what's going to happen. And even if you do sue them, you want your feeling of justice and your feeling of resolution in your hands, not on pause until the legal system takes action. Right. So here's what I would say. I think essentially feelings that a situation was unresolved or that ongoing injustice I think this is the process. Initially, we have that experience of this was wrong. And that's almost like a diagnosis that feels really healthy. It feels very invigorating almost. You feel alive when you realize I'm not crazy. This was wrong. And that's there's feels, anger in there. There's a boundary yes. in there. It feels it is it's it's sometimes it's an important step, right? Yes. To, to claim the power of the boundary and be like, exactly. no, nope, there's a bright line of what's not okay. But then we get stuck in this binary thinking of either 
that shouldn't have happened and I need to feel terrible. So in the impact mm-hmm. model, you say the incident is I had a job. That's the neutralized incident in the first line of the impact model. So the I line is I had a job. The M line is that shouldn't have happened. That's the and meaning, right? M is that's meaning. That's the meaning line. So the, I, the incident is I had a job and then our brains make meaning out of it. And the meaning ends up becoming that shouldn't have happened on some level, then that feels like the physiology line then is stressful or anxious or unresolved, right? Injustice. Like there's something there. Each of our bodies feels different. You can put that label on it. And then the action that we take is we try to seek resolution outside of ourselves and we struggle with ourselves. We debate whether or not we did something wrong, right? We try to fix ourselves, which creates more of a sense of injustice because we know we didn't create that environment. So this turns into a cycle of unresolution and injustice. So that Incident line stays the same. I had a job. We could choose the meaning line of that should have happened. Everything happens as it should. Like we get a lot of positive mantras and we want to jump to something super positive. Commonly, like this is the other place we would go is to be like, everything happens for a reason. Everything is perfect. This yeah. is wonderful. And yeah. thank you so much. It doesn't feel for right. It, it feels really work bad well. and it feels like a lie in our bodies and, and right. unsafe. So we resist that and go back to it shouldn't have happened. And so because we're stuck in this binary pattern of either it should have happened or it shouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. we have just this ongoing cycle of unresolution injustice. To me, the shift that can happen there that's available is that did happen and I can care for myself around this. Mm. That did happen and I trust myself to care for myself in the future. Mm. That did happen and I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. Right. And you offer kindness to your past self who did the best that they could do and know that you can move forward, trusting yourself, knowing that you've learned more, knowing that you will trust yourself ongoing in the future. Because when we're stuck in these situations where we're experiencing abuse, what we learn to do is doubt ourselves. That's what hegemony teaches us. Hegemony, the dominance of dominant culture says dominant culture is right. Dominant culture is objective. Anything that diverges from that is like, quote, not normal or bad, right? So then those of us who have characteristics that are not dominant start to doubt ourselves. We say, my experience was wrong. My experience was bad. I must have done something to cause this. And we fight with our past selves. If we can today say that did happen, that person's actions are outside of my control and I can care for myself and I can commit to myself that I will care for myself going forward. We can start to develop that trust in ourselves again. And to me, that creates justice and closure because when you are persecuting or prosecuting your past self for what they did wrong, you have an internal sense of injustice because it is unfair. Another person's actions are outside of your control. You did not cause that. You didn't do anything wrong. And you can care for yourself going forward. That is so powerful. Everyone in their cars right now is just taking a breath with me around it. One of the things that is present for me is that I was kind of thinking you'd be like, okay, first there's the report, then there's this, then there's that. And you're like, no, 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 no. We're going to go to the inside. Like we're going to go to the experience layer 
Because although the workplace is where it happened, like in the physical world, the experience layer is where the harm is still alive, right? Like I'm not in the old workplace anymore, but there are days when the experience is still alive in me. And so I think one of the top takeaways here for those of us who have exited without a sense of resolution is that the place where it's still happening We could choose to look at that as being an inside place, not a physical building. And although sometimes it can feel like the experience is intrusive, right? You wish it weren't on the inside of you. The fact that it is on the inside of us means that there are floor plans or maps in this case, like the impact model models that we can use to reorganize that space because it is still on our real estate, for lack of a better term. And also, that's not to say, like, a lot of people use that as a new reason to make themselves wrong. Like, that's not to say Right, which is not the the intent here at all, because it wasn't you. It was never you. We never wanted to happen. And if it's in there, it's not because you did something wrong or because you didn't know how to face it. It's just that we should bring care to it. And we can still do that. I just have this image of like, for you, you're in this workplace. You're this beautiful, wonderful, brilliant child who like gets this job, right? And this beautiful, wonderful child is like doing the best at her job, rising to the top. And then she's like, you know, I'm not going to make it a lot farther. I'm ready to leave. And on her way out gives this wonderful gift of truth to this organization. Like there's really nothing that you have to look back on for you and say, what should I have done differently? Should I have done something better? Like, I think if you can offer yourself, I did everything right. And I offered this extra gift to the workplace of truth. I mean, I think you're right. But I think what that pokes, I wonder if it'll poke us in other people. What um, Jeff Pfeffer, who's like a really spicy researcher at the Business School of Stanford, has this term he uses called the just world hypothesis, Mm -hmm. where he's like, we want to believe that the core contract of the world is, I don't do anything wrong. And then I don't have to suffer, right? Like everyone should and be doing I all the do good things. if I do everything right, I'll get what I want. Yeah. yeah. And so to some extent, when you say that, I can both follow you there, right? From my wisdom self and like my older self and be like, yeah, yeah, I should totally hold that for myself. But then when I do, the feelings come up, right? Because and here's how it sounds, yeah. right? Here's the conversation, which is a super stressed conversation, right? Well, if I didn't do anything wrong, then why why on earth did this happen to me? And that is actually the PTSD question, right? It's like, why me? Why did this happen? You know, it's not ideally, but a a gentle place that we can, that I want us to be aware of, I'll say it like that, is like the post-traumatic growth piece is a little bit more leaning toward what now, which isn't that we should stuff that down, but that's what it pokes. Meredith, I just want to draw one more line here to say that this topic came up for us this week because I am back to work after a, you know a long period. And I was running my own business and stuff like that too, but I really love being in organizations and I have not worked in organizations since 2014. And now it's It's basically been 10 years. And that's not really true because they've done client work and organizations and stuff. But this is, I would say that this is the first time I'm like back to work and like facing it. And I had a situation this week where something came up and it felt the old way. And I was so scared 
but I was able to realize like, no, I'm just starting at this new thing. So like, I am not going anywhere. Like I've got to find my way through this. And I found my way through and it's, you know, it's taken six days, you know, or something. It wasn't really fun, but like I found my way through and I was able to do it with kind of, I don't know if we would call them mantras, but with the, the kind of lenses you were mentioning, like that did happen. And I can care for myself. I can trust myself to care for myself in the future. Given where I sit right now, there were a lot of times I almost went back, quote unquote, back, right forward to different organizational settings that in some way were reminding me of the fears that I had faced. One of them was there was this job that was really cool that we had a couple of family connections into. So it would have been possible to probably like just get to know the people a little bit more and then at least interview in a good way. But it turned out we did a couple calls of like references with the people involved. And they were like, oh no, don't get anywhere near this person. They take everybody out in their career. It was terrible. And I had a therapist at the time and I am so pro therapy, but my therapist was basically like, don't worry, just go and do it. Like go for it. You'll figure it out. But like, I didn't have these skills. I didn't have these tools to manage the mind. And I have a strong mind that will take over my emotions when I am poked. And so I guess my leaving note to people would be that if you have an unresolved situation, you don't have to, I guess I wish I would have just held my own hand and said, you don't have to force yourself back in to the deep end as though you have no fear or as though nothing ever happened to you. And you can follow your genius, as you like to say, Meredith, like follow your true nature, follow what really is calling you. And then know that if something comes up in there, that isn't already a red flag on day one, that these tools exist and the support and the communities exist to tackle it and that you can feel very differently. Yeah, I think that that's so true. And I also think about the just world fallacy that you're talking about. I think that we can get into these spaces where we think that the world is supposed to be soft and that we've done something wrong if the world is sharp. And so I always make this analogy to like a zoo, like a lot of times going to the workplace, we think we've gotten a job petting kittens at the pet store. And then after a little bit, we realize that we've actually gotten a job uh, in a tiger cage cleaning the cage and getting mauled by tigers. And what we can do in that space is use these tools that really like protect us through um, developing really strong boundaries, having really clear dialogue with ourselves and really reprogramming any hegemony that we were raised with, anything that works against us. But that doesn't change that tigers are tigers. Like that doesn't change that the world is sharp. And we have to navigate also the external environment of what we tolerate and what we don't tolerate. So when we look back on our past experiences and use that as a reason to argue with ourselves or criticize ourselves, I think that's the space where we can kind of bring it forward and we can acknowledge that tigers are tigers, abuse happens, humans are abusive, and that doesn't mean anything about us. If we run into a person who is abusive, that means that we're human. And like a lot of us can abuse and not realize it even. If we've been told that our behavior is abusive, we've learned something. We can move forward with that knowledge and consider whether we want to change our behavior or not. So I think it can work on both sides. And I think when we look back and have a more 
behind resolving just experience of our memory and of ourselves, like redevelop our trust with ourselves. That doesn't mean that we say, oh, and that experience was soft and not sharp. The experience may still have been abusive and not kind. And we have to sort of let go of that idea that if we are good, the world becomes soft because the world is still what the world is, I think. So we just want to thank everybody for being in this episode. And if you have your own story that you want to share, as always, feel free to submit it to us at Eris Resolution slash story. That's E-R-I-S resolution slash story. The Empower Communication Podcast is produced by Same Team Media. Music by Sarai Johnson. <laughs>